Welcome to the Optimize Your Life podcast in association with popproductivity.com, the self-improvement podcast designed for you to optimize your human performance through evidence-based strategies, practical tips, and advice to take your productivity and well-being to the next level. Sit back and enjoy with your host, Peter Shaw. So delighted today to be joined by financial advisor, Paul Merriman. How are you, Paul? Not too bad yourself, Peter. All good now, all good. Um, do you want to give the listeners a little bit of a quick background uh, before we start getting into the nitty gritty on the financial side? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my name is Paul. I am a what's called a certified financial planner. Um, I started my career in Irish life about 18 years ago and then went out on my own and bought a company called Pax Asset Management. Uh, we've almost 100 million assets under management, the people's money that we manage on a daily basis. And um, yeah, I've 22 staff, grew from a one-man show in, into uh, 22 staff and set up another company in the meantime called Clear Choice, which is a financial planning uh, software service for our users in the Irish market, uh, which is quite cool as well. And uh, We look after about 400 brokers throughout Ireland with software services, which is brilliant. That's grown as well um, through acquisitions. Uh, and then I set, up, uh, I set up a site called askpaul.ie um, and started a Facebook page really on the back of, I suppose, watching the likes of Gary Vaynerchuk and maybe diff- different people in the States looking at how they distribute information uh, and their content. And I thought we could try it for financial planning and financial services because, to be honest with you, I found that a lot of people did not really understand anything when it came to pension, savings, investments, even mortgages. Like, you know, very rarely people understand actually how a mortgage works. Everyone wants one, but they don't know how they work. So I just started a kind of a free site. And I mean free, it's free from a monetary point of view. There's no cost, no membership or anything. Um, but there's a lot of free content there. And it's jargon free as well. We just tried to bring layman terms so people can understand. And when we started originally, Peter, you couldn't really book anything with us or do anything. It was just a, an information site. And we just got flooded with people asking for, you know, reviews. Could it help them with mortgages? Could it help them with various aspects then? Uh, as in they, they kind of build the trust, I suppose, with the the people that were absorbing the content and uh, yeah we went from there we set it up for personal consultations then we set up the latest thing is the ask call investment club where we help people I invest on a monthly basis in a fund they join me and yeah it's, it's it's all very plain english peter you know it's it's just literally we found that people didn't have the knowledge or they were afraid to maybe ask questions i find this with people that are in company pension plans or you know when people are going in couples are going into the bank and they were attracted by the adverts in the banks, uh, which, you know, it, it's it's a marketing campaign. Like, you know, the people that sit in the marketing department, the banks are there to design that you walk into AIB versus maybe Bank of Ireland or Bank of Ireland versus Permanent TSB. But really, you're looking for the lowest interest rate. It's not rocket science. So it doesn't make a difference what the shiny signs say or the billboards say. Uh, there's a massive difference in between the mortgages out there because mortgage companies or banks make their money on interest rates. And um, so I was getting kind of pissed off with that as an advisor point of view. And that's why we brought out um, Ask Paul and it's flying. We've got pretty decent following on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we do about 20 to 30 consultations a week and team is out the door now. So it's been great. I've been following. That's how I got in touch with you was through that Ask Paul on Instagram. And uh, I follow a lot of the content there. It's very, very good. It's it's excellent just to get free information because a lot of the stuff, as you said, people don't really understand or they, they don't have anybody to reduce the amount of jargon they're getting. For those then that are a lot of our listenership at the moment, it's between the 20 and 30 uh, years old. 
what advice would you give to people if they have no clue about financial planning, about what they should be doing, or what are the common mistakes, I suppose, that people are making in their 20s and 30s with their money? The mistake everybody makes, especially people in 20, 20, 30 age bracket, is that they, they overcomplicate it. And if you mention financial plan, you kind of, you, you'd shiver up and kind of go, shit, what this means, it's already complicated. I don't know anything about money. But really, financial planning starts with your income being paid. You know, so if you've got a job, whether it's a part-time job or a full-time job, you're already on the financial planning journey because you're getting an income of somebody and that income is landing in your bank account. The very, very basis of that is, number one, to have an income coming in. I said everybody has that. Number two is to make sure you don't pay bank fees for that money. And I think that's it. I think everybody hates paying bank fees. They don't understand why they pay them. But if you're using, guaranteed most people that listen to this, they actually probably have a Revolut or an N26 account, but they're not using it correctly. Uh, they probably signed up for a metal card to look like, uh, excuse the expression, put Johnny Big Balls, but there's no need to have the metal card. It's an extra 20 quid a month or 240 quid a year, uh, you know, which is madness. And we, I think it may be 20 quid, maybe that, that expensive, was not far off. And um, so I think the first, first rule tool for financial plan is to make sure you're not wasting money. As soon as it lands in your bank account, to make sure you're not paying silly fees. Now, KBC have a good account. If you bring in over two grand a month, uh, it's free banking as well. EBS are quite good with the free banking. Uh, but the main banks are brutal. Uh, and they're fintech. The kind of technology they use behind it is really outdated as well. So you look at the likes of Revolut and what they can do, the likes of N26 as well. Uh, so I think rule one, anyone listening today, just make your Revolut or your N26 your main bank account and don't be paying for the stupid cards or the stupid premium account. Uh, you know, uh, unless you're traveling every single week for work, you don't need the foreign exchange change rate for seven quid a month. It's just a waste of money. And you're going to jump from AOB or Bank of Ireland and pay more fees if you don't pick the correct Revolut account. So I think rule number one, make sure you're not wasting money on charges. Rule number two, don't spend money on stupid stuff. You know, I think a lot of people, me included, by the way, I was in my 20s and 30s, spent a lot of money uh, on, on ridiculous things. And uh, remember seeing the thing online that a lot of people spend an awful, an awful lot of money on stupid things to impress people they don't really care about. <laughs> and that really does happen in Irish life, you know, is keeping up with the Joneses, is buying the car. You know, if you were listening today and you haven't got a house yet and you're driving a three series or a five series, there's actually just something wrong with how you've set yourself up. Uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense to be paying six or seven hundred quid for a car loan to impress a girl or the guy next door or your mates, whatever it is, if you're not yet set up financially. Um, uh, so I, I would say the, the biggest thing after you have your bank account sorted, you're not paying those stupid fees is to automatically invest in yourself, whether that's like, you know, the credit union or whether it's the Aspal Investment Club or any type of investment portfolio you want to do if you've read up on this stuff. Uh, but you ought to automate that. Uh, and what I mean by automate is you get paid at the end of every month or you get paid weekly. As soon as your wages hit your bank account, you automatically say, right, I'm going to invest 20, 30, 40% in me. And that's the future me. That future me might be six months away for starting a new college course. It might be six months away from a business point of view. It could be two years away or three years away. It can be, if you want to travel, that's investing in you as well, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not trying to say just go to college or just start your business, whatever you want to do. But you automate it, you know, and just pick a figure. It should be at least 20%, in my opinion, especially if you're still living at home with your parents or our parent and you don't have major rent and major bills. Uh, you know, this is probably the biggest time in your life that you have that amount of disposable income because, you know, <laughs> once you get kids or once you get married or you move in and you have a mortgage, you have rent and bills, you will never have as much disposable income as you do have when you live at home with your parents. Never, ever, ever again will you probably have that amount. Because what automatically happens, Peter, is that people's, 
life expectations of how they spend money increases the more money you get. Like, you know, I remember I think my first job was 13 grand a year or something. I was still living at home. Um, but with no outgoes, you know, we literally had no outgoes whatsoever. Everything we had a small car loan, that was it. You now, what I did with the money is probably wasting the majority of it, to be honest. But, um, you know, now, or even at the minute now, but when I probably settled down for us, I said, having kids. My wife, um, you know, money was tight, you know, because you had kids, you had unpaid leave, you had maternity leave, you had uh, cost of doctors, you had cost of kids then creep in. So I think people need to realize in our 20 authorities, this is probably going to be the only time I personally choose what I do with my money. Because after that, if you're in a joint situation with a missus or a bloke or whatever your setup is, uh, you have to start making joint decisions. And that's and you start having to pay stuff out like your mortgage or your rent or your ESP, your gas. So save as much as you possibly can. But have a purpose. I mean, hopefully most people that are listening to this podcast have, you know, I, don't, I think everybody listens to a podcast, uh, especially if they tune in for more than five minutes, which are still here, so thanks. But if you are that person, you, you probably have ambitions with your life. I don't think anyone listens to a podcast like this and doesn't want to do something with their life. I don't think they want to stay in their mom and dad's forever. I don't think they want to stay in that job forever. They want to progress, probably go out on their own, probably build their own empire, whatever they're going to do. Uh, and everybody can absolutely do that. But the one thing you need is a shitload of cash. So if you're in your 20s and 30s and you're thinking about setting up your own business uh, or being mortgage-free by 30 or 40 or whatever your ambition is, you need a lot of money and the only way you can get that money is by earning it and keeping it and not spending it. Sorry, not spending on stupid things. So, uh, yeah, that's probably what I'd be saying to most of them. Get rid of your bank fees, get rid of your bank fees and, and uh, start an automatic investment into yourself, 20 to 50% a month. What about for those people, something I've always struggled with is when you do have a loan, the temptation is you have a little bit of spare cash and you want to use that to live a certain lifestyle or you want to spend a certain amount of money on, on other things. But I heard you mention before about clearing your debt and get making sure that you're getting rid of any sort of credit union, any sort of car loan, anything yeah. like that. Do you want to go through that for some people maybe out there that yeah, have small the, loans? Yeah, the problem we find, I've dealt with thousands of clients um, and like from bricklayers to you know, CEOs of companies and from dentists, every, every type of client you imagine have probably been in front of at this stage of my career. And the one thing I've noticed is those that get into debt from a young age tend to stay in the debt bubble. And what I mean by that is they finish their car loan, they automatically go change their car for a new car loan, even though there's no, nothing wrong with the car. And they change, you know, they, they finish paying their holiday off to wherever they beat there, whatever they went on holiday. And they take another loan the following year. And they end up in that kind of rat race of always having personal debt. Now, when you have personal debt, it's very, very, very hard to leverage up. Yeah, and people use debt for leverage in a bad way. There's good leverage and there's bad leverage. Bad leverage is car loans, uh, holiday funds, credit cards to buy stuff online, clothes, fashion, whatever you're into. Uh, good debt would be a mortgage or a business loan. You know, you need a roof over your head, so you pay down your mortgage. You own the asset at the end of it. <clears throat> um, and another good loan would be a business loan if your business is successful, obviously. So when you have a loan from the credit union or the bank or a credit card particularly, you pay a set amount of interest back to that person. And that's a leakage of your own money. Uh, and what I find frustrating by this is that we've kind of bred into a generation. Now, I was like this. I was this kid once as well. So I, I don't I hate preaching about this stuff because I did the same stupid, stupid things like I'm talking about, going to talk about now. When you're a certain age and you have that massive disposable income, we've brought into a generation where we want something next week or next week or next month. So, you know, someone says you want to go on holiday, sure, I'll ring the bank, get a car, get a loan, 
and I go on holiday and pay that loan over two years or one year or whatever you're going to do. Then look, if you can clear your loan within a year, you know, and it's for a kind of once a lifetime kind of opportunity, it's probably not the worst thing in the world. But the problem I have with it is people that are always caught in that, rent, that kind of borrowing bubble because it's easier to save, but it just takes time. So for argument's sake, if you're going to pay two or 300 quid in a car loan, within two years, you would probably have, if you saved your ass off property and set yourself up financially and you weren't paying stupid interest rates to these banks or credit unions, if you set yourself up correctly and you have a massive bubble, so say if you're 22 years of age and you're on a decent wage or living at home, you should easily probably be able to probably save 15, 20 grand within two years. In my expectation, if you have a decent wage coming in, anything over 24, 25 grand, and you know, you're still living at home, you should be able to save 25, 30 grand or invest it. If you do that, you use your own money. So you just need two years of a break without doing anything majorly wrong in your life. What I mean by wrong is borrowing big. And that will give you a settled foundation for the rest of your life to always have that. Say 500 quid a month is always invested. But after the year or two, you have 12 grand. You're taking your own money or your own investment account. So money that's making money for you and you're using that money to fund the lifestyle you want. And I think that's, you mentioned the lifestyle and things you want to do. If you're always doing that on other people's money, in my experience, you will do that for the next 10, 15 years because you get used to that free line of credit, that cheap line of credit. Well, it's not cheap, but you get used to that, cheap, that, that easy access line of credit. Use that to fund your lifestyle and never get out of it. And I think that's an issue for a lot of young people. And the other thing, and the reason I say why I hate them so much is that I get a lot of people coming to me from mortgages now in the 30s. And they've got bad credit because they missed the credit union. You know, they went to Australia on the piss for two years or a year. They went to the States, they did a J1 or whatever they did. And they burned somebody, you know, they got a credit card out, they got a personal loan, they couldn't afford it. Nobody cares about the sob story, they lost your job or someone died or whatever it's going to be. Your credit rate is now affected for five years. And when you go for that business loan to set up that dream, you know, gym or that gym coffee shop or, you know, that motor car company or whatever you're planning to do with your life, you can't do it then because you have bad credit because you didn't pay a loan. So I think I, I think the risks far outweigh the positives. Um, so that's why I encourage you. But having like not many people have like, like if you if you pick a twenty five year old listen today or twenty say twenty seven year old a bit older, the amount of money they've probably borrowed versus the money they've probably saved is completely different parallels. Like they probably borrowed a shitload of cash and they probably have no savings. Uh, and I think that's a shame because without savings, you know, and without investing you don't really have the leverage to springboard yourself financially then in later parts of life. Again, I'm not trying to be a bad humbug here. Like I'm saying, if you, if you take, you have two grand a month coming in or 1,800 quid a month coming in, you know, if you're still saving four or 500 quid and you want to borrow for, for, for two or 300 quid of repayment, that's absolutely cool. As long as you have that 20, 30 or 40% already saved. So if you're, someone comes to me and says, oh Paul, I've got 500 quid a month going in, I'm saving 20 grand, now in three years, I want to set my own business and I want to borrow to go away with the lads this year or go or do whatever I'm doing. Yeah, technically that's okay. If you have it, if you have the first foundation level covered, you know, the first foundation level again, okay, meant to mention the bank, your income, your bank fees are sorted and then you have an investment in you. That other disposable part of your income, you can do whatever you want. It. But, you know, if you're taking a car loan or you're taking a loan to go on holidays or, you know, taking a big car loan or whatever you're doing, and you have no savings yet, and you have no investment in yourself, and you're just pissing up against the wall every weekend. That's going to come back to haunt you at some stage, like, you know, uh, it really is. So you need to invest in yourself. And like I said, the main reason for that is purely so 
you can then invest in yourself properly by probably setting up a business or going into business with somebody or having a massive deposit for that first house or an investment property. I think every single kid, by the time they get to 27 or 28, could be probably could be on the property ladder, either for themselves or an investment property. You know, uh, and that just sets you up for a ridiculous, a ridiculous foundation for life investing. Yeah, I had that actually down on my list as a later question. We might segue into that. I was just looking at, you mentioned about uh, buy-to-let properties and people investing in that. Obviously, for the 25 to 30-year-old bracket in Dublin, if they're on their own, they probably don't have the the three and a half times their salary to get a, a large mortgage in Dublin. But if somebody saw a property that they liked down the country that was a little bit cheaper... Uh, what's your thoughts on investing in property as a as a tool for them to set themselves up financially for later in life? Yeah, I think it's a great tool, um, and I think I think we, we we have this obsession in Ireland about property, and I have it as well. You know, the number of properties, and I love the property game. I think it's amazing. But I got a lot of people saving their ass off to buy a family home with their boyfriend or a girlfriend, or you know, whatever the setup is. And they're going to buy an apartment or a, a, probably a house in an area where they don't want to live in because they may be on that lower bracket of anything under maybe 30 or 40 grand, both of them. And they can't buy that kind of 400 or 500 grand house in Dublin or whatever that is down the country. But they're thinking about it wrong, in my opinion. There's nothing wrong with renting. So if you're living in Dublin, you're renting in Dublin. That's absolutely okay. Or in Cork or Galway, wherever it is in this podcast, I think renting is okay. People fail to realize, and, and again, we're talking about barstool advisors or people you may know, and the poor having a point saying rent's a waste of money. Rent's not a waste of money, to be honest with you. I don't agree with that statement because people don't realize that the first five years, how much interest you pay back to the bank. You know, uh, you could be talking about seven or 800 quid a month in interest going to the bank. So if you're renting for a grant, it's not that much different than a waste of money. And to get a mortgage, you have to give the bank a big old deposit as well. <laughs> you know, probably 20 or 30 grand, your hard earned cash is gone on the deposit. Then you have bills like in life insurance, mortgage protection, you have home insurance. Uh, you also then have to keep the property maintained and look after it, you know, if a boiler goes, leak goes. So believe it or not, in the first five years, renting versus buying is not that much different. Now, if you're, if you're buying the ideal family home to stay in for the next 20 years, that's a different conversation. But most people between 20 and 30 aren't looking for a starter house, which I think is nonsense. You rent your starter house and then buy your ideal house, in my opinion. But back to the question, sorry about that, Peter. From a rental property point of view, if people are living, say for example, say give a guy and he's earning 40 grand, current rules are 3.5 times. He can go and buy a property, or get a mortgage for about 140 odd K, right? Now, if he had saved, as I said, you think every person between 20 and 27 or 28 years of age should easily be able to save. If they live in a home, five or 600 quid a month or more if they really wanted to. And it's come down to really wanting something. So that person should be saving their absolute ass off to get a deposit of maybe 20 or 30 grand. And you will find one bed apartments in Dublin that you will still be able to get for under 200 grand. Or if you mention someone's living down the country or from Cork or Galway or Longford or wherever they're from, you will find the property for that kind of 150 to 180 price point and you can buy it on your own. Now, the trick here is that if you live in it, that's okay. Um, the bank will give you the first time buyer kind of 10% deposit. So if you're buying something for 180 grand, you only need 18 grand. If you're still living at home, that should be easily achievable in my opinion. So if you get your 18 grand together, you know, uh, no fairs, that was your 180 grand property. Say, say 150 grand property, get your 15 grand together and you get your 135 grand mortgage off a bank. Now, what you do is you might live in it or you might live in it. But if, say, you have to live in it for a while, then you might rent it out. If you rent it out, you're going to have rental income coming in. Now, do you remember, you're still living at home and you're still saving that whatever, six or 700 quid a month. 
and they have somebody probably renting for six or 700 quid a month. If you can use a rental income along with your savings and clear that loan as soon as possible, you will be able to leverage off that mortgage-free property to either buy your ideal family home or buy another rental property. So if you're renting in Dublin and you're renting an apartment for whatever with a girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever your setup is, for 1500 or anywhere in the, in the country, by the way, and you're renting, staying renting and leveraging both your incomes to set up an investment portfolio is the most logical thing to do, in my opinion. And I really genuinely mean that. You don't need to own your family home if you don't have kids. You know, renting is absolutely fine. If you can afford the ideal family home that you want to live in for 15 to 20 years, you know, you're going to raise your family, have a great time, all those memories built. It's amazing. But in the meantime, leverage what you have. The bank will give you 3.5 times. So, so Peter, you know, if you take a couple um, and they're living together, two people would be in a relationship. So say two mates, two brothers, two sisters, or a couple, uh, and they're both there in 35 or 40 grand. Let's say 40 grand. That's 80 grand a year by the two of them. You know, for the 3.5 rule, they could borrow 280 grand off the bank, no problem. Now, if you're borrowing 280 grand off the bank and they both have a 28 grand deposit, they're buying something anywhere in the country, say, just say Dublin. And I'm, obviously, I'm from Dublin, but I'm not, I'm just pro-Dublin from the point of view is, is the biggest property, is a property bubble in Dublin. Like it's, Dublin is a bubble, or a residential bubble, but has a major problem with supply and demand. So it will remain robust for an investment point of view for the very foreseeable future. I think Dublin's going to turn into a mini London. But if that couple can borrow for 280 grand, they buy a house for 300, 310, a three-bed house in Dublin, they're probably going to get somewhere around 1,800 euro a month for that property. Okay, now 1,800 quid a month is a lot of money. They're basically securing 26,600 euro forever. Okay, so just let that sink in. So they're on 40 grand each, and they're basically forget about the mortgage and forget about the property and the tenancy and the tax and all the problems that come with it. Okay, because there are problems when you're in the rental game. That's 26 grand a year, 20, sorry, 21 and a half grand a year forever. If you take that couple, uh, say they're 26, 27 years of age or 28. Let's say they're 28. They've got 40 years to get to retirement age. Okay, so what happens is they're buying an asset that's going to produce 864 grand worth of income between now and retirement age. So uh, it would be, be over a million because the rental income would obviously go up by 2% a year, probably more over the long term. And that's without even the value of their property going up. They're buying something for 310. Now it'll be worth whatever, seven, 800 grand by the time they get to retirement age. But what I'm looking for is the income, the ability to bring in 21 grand a year. Yes, that 21 grand has to go towards the mortgage, but not forever. The quicker you can get rid of the mortgage, the quicker that 21 grand becomes income for you. So I think guys and girls listen to this um, and they're thinking they can't get on the property ladder or they're waiting for the ideal couple or the ideal person to come into the life and they're going to buy. Pick your sister, pick a mate, pick a brother, pick whoever. And sit down and say, you know what? We could probably start our own little property empire here. We could probably buy an apartment or something in Dublin on both our salaries, rent it out, get the income in to clear the mortgage and put our own money towards clearing the mortgage too, by the way, and get it mortgage-free as quickly as possible. Now, the off-trade for that is you're probably going to have to rent your own family home. You know, but again, if you're 20, you mentioned 20 to 30 years of age. Most people 20, 30 years of age probably aren't married yet, probably haven't got kids yet. Uh, and probably are looking at the future or going into business for themselves or being some way driven to do something with their lives rather than sitting in a nine-to-five office. Um, so if that's the case, I think that's a really good plan. How quickly could they get a mortgage paid off like that or would you 
recommend them if they do want to move up in five or ten years and they still haven't got that mortgage paid off. You could easily get the mortgage. A 280 grand mortgage obviously be longer, you know, but uh, in my experience, they could probably get the mortgage paid off within 10 to 12 years if they were going to put, say, 500 quid a month each to overpay the mortgage and the tenant was going to pay the mortgage as well that was coming in. Uh, but by the way, you can do this and still live in the property. If you buy a three-bed house and just move into the three-bed house, uh, you and your mate, and you have a spare room, rent the spare room until he's paid. Like, there's just loads of ways in on the property that you don't just don't have to wait for that person to come along. For that, for I'm just sick of people. Like, I've got I've got people coming to me, and they're in the 35, late thirties, and they're single, and they're saying, "I'm never going to run the property ladder." I say, "No, what you're probably never going to do is be on the property ladder with somebody else at this stage. You're still single." And that's not saying there's no hope to be coming to relationship. <laughs> they, by the time they get into a relationship and they you know, want to commit or they want to have kids probably another few years away. But I just feel that they're always waiting for somebody else to come before they buy a property. And I just don't understand why that is. They can get on the property ladder themselves. And they won't buy their ideal family home. But we're fixated as an agent on buying that ideal family home and using our income towards that ideal family home rather than just getting on the property ladder, rent a property out, buy another property, another property. And that's what the be too pro uh, being a landlord here being a landlord is difficult it's not for everybody but you know there's people listening today that will have that entrepreneurial spirit and they want to make money and they want to maybe get into property it's for them you know it's not for everybody I will say that but um, yeah I, I just think I just think people waste an awful lot of time and money they don't get good advice they don't think about outside the box they're just traditional you know want to buy that three bed four bed semi D and I'm waiting for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright to come along and between now and then, I'm going to blow all my money. <laughs> uh, and that's that's the problem for me, rather than using what you have. So then for people that maybe are looking for a bit more security, I, I know you advocate having an emergency fund. How would somebody go about setting that up? Why would they do it? How much should they have? Is it based yeah. on their income or? Yeah, I, I think an emergency fund, sorry, I should have probably when we mentioned the foundations here, you're on level one was obviously your income coming in, level two was your you're uh, you're getting your bank account with no fees and level three was putting some money aside on the money aside point of view you do need to have an emergency fund uh, emergency fund should be at least you know a very minimum of grand uh two grand and then after that depends like if the, i remember said to you about your, your level one with your income coming in peter so if you're on a financial plan you have income coming in the most important path most important thing to do is to protect that that income so you can do that in a couple of ways. Uh, if you're self-employed or you're a PAY worker or someone working for somebody and they don't have benefits at work, like let's say benefits, you know, if you work in the bank or you worked in uh, Microsoft or Apple, you'd have what's called a, a pension plan paid for by the company. You'd also have income protection where you're out work, an insurance company steps in and pays you. You can do that your own self individually. So I recommend every single person to have an income protection plan, 75% of your salary along with the state help. If you're out of work for more than say, usually 13 weeks, and once you're in work for three months, it kicks in right up to 65. You're out of work for any reason. There are not any reasons to be due to accident, sickness, or illness. It can't be laid off or made redundant now. Did you ever said you earlier on about that, that kind of that person in mid 20s saving up to 20 grand or 30 grand? They're developing their emergency fund anyway. They should probably never have under 10 grand to call in them. You know, you wouldn't waste all your money on something. You wouldn't put all your money towards a mortgage property. You wouldn't put all your money towards an investment. You'd keep some money outside. But uh, and what, what it's for, and people are saying, what's an emergency fund? An emergency fund is if you have an investment account or a long-term savings strategy. Say you're saving for your mortgage, uh, you know, and or you're saving for whatever, to set up your own business. 
and the car breaks down or the fridge breaks or there's a leak in the house or, you know, somebody gets sick and they can't go to work for a few weeks or a few months. Your emergency fund is supposed to be dead. You're calling your emergency fund force so you don't have to borrow. But more importantly, you don't have to interrupt your investment account because the longer you leave your investment account uninterrupted, the more money it should passively make for you. Um, where if you have to stop your emergency fund, because you have to stop your investment account because your car broke down or because, you know, the cat was sick and the dog was sick and you hadn't got insurance or whatever the situation is, uh, that's a disaster for your kind of financial goals being met. And that's where the emergency fund comes in. So it's that type of stuff. Fridge breaking down, cooker breaking down, car breaking down, someone getting sick. That's what the emergency fund's for. So I've, if I have a little bit of spare cash, um, what would be your recommendations then if somebody is in, again, around that 20, 30-year-old bracket, they're maybe they're living at home, they've got spare cash, what would be your number one thing you would be doing with something like that? I would say keep your spare cash in the credit union. I love the credit union. I'll go through that way later on. i say keep it in the credit union rather than the bank. Uh, and I, it depends on what you're saving for. Now. There's loads of different advice here, but let's say you're just, you're, you're not doing, you just have extra cash. Uh, so I would be comfortable with looking at maybe investing anything over five or ten grand. If anything under it, say leave it there. What I would be encouraging to do is that that monthly income that you have spare, <clears throat> so that 300, 500, 800 quid a month, is invest in that in a three to five year investment account. Uh, and again, if anyone over the Aspol Instagram account, there's loads of information in relation to the Aspol investment strategy. It's a fund they invest in through Zurich every month. I said it up last month or this month, sorry. For uh, 500 euro a month, he paid in the 15th of every month. And a lot of people have followed me. Uh, and that basically means that they're going to do the exact same. I'm doing it for five years. Well, I'm doing it forever, really. But, you know, it's six grand a year in three to five years. You'd hope to have, obviously, um, you know, 18 to 30, 40K saved up or invested. Um, so that's what I'd encourage everyone to do. But I wouldn't be mad about taking money for those guys in their 20s or 30s or in mid-20s. I wouldn't be mad about taking the money they've saved and investing that because most people at that age will either want to buy a property to meet somebody or they will want to, you know, set up their own business or they will have kind of short and medium term goals. What I'm looking for is people to create the habit. So that two, three, 500 quid a month that you're saying, you know what, I'm going to invest in me for three, five or 10 years away. And it's that habit that I want them to do. Forget about the two grand or the 10 grand they have saved already. Don't really want to invest that. Uh, I want that to be kept for an emergency fund or they can go and drop on a hat in the holiday or they can, you know, uh, buy a car or upgrade their car for crash, cash without borrowing. So I think everybody should try and strive to have that <clears throat> 10 grand, five to 10 grand set up, you know, that allows them to do whatever they want. The people are listening probably sniggering saying, who's your man think he is five, 10 grand? But I think that's really achievable. If you don't have, that's not going to happen tomorrow. But again, it should easily, if you're living at home and you're earning, two grand a month after tax, 500 quid a week, which a lot of people are at that age, should be earning way more. And, um, you know, and they're still living at home. They should be saving anything towards a grand. So within a year. Yeah. And like, even I was just thinking there about consistency, like people often have five grand sitting in a savings account and it's doing nothing for them. If you took that, if that was built up over 250, say saving, and you had 250 yeah. going into an investment, yeah. You know, you'll buy you'll buy that car in cash that you were thinking about that massive loan in a few years rather than exactly. And now you have it, Peter. It's about creating that cash account. So cash. When I say cash, by the way, cash is deposit. So either a bank savings account or a credit union, an investment account is something that's working hard. You should be getting hopefully interest rates. The bank and the credit union pay at zero to have your money. Sorry, 
some banks will pay you one, one point five or something if you're very, very lucky, uh, and you save a certain amount for a certain amount of time. But the accounts I'm looking at doing, like they've achieved almost ten percent over a thirty-year period. Now don't forget, so it's a ridiculously long term. Um, but you're hoping to get between five and six percent growth a year over a three to five-year period. So that's when you get your money working hard for you. So cash you should be keeping if you're 500 quid a month spare you should be putting maybe 200 quid into the cash account and 300 quid into your investment account and that a cash account is purely to save you borrowing you know so the holiday comes up or you want to change the car or something goes wrong you have money there to do it so it's just trying to get that financial picture that you have the short medium and long term and i'd encourage anyone listening today to really sit down with themselves and say look i'm earning money my, what is my short, medium, and long term? If your short term is to get to the end of the week and buy a few points, I have no problem with that. Knock yourself out. You're probably happier than I am. You know, that's what you want to do. Go for it. You know, that's absolutely fine. We're not talking to you, and you're probably not listening to the podcast if that is what you do. If you're someone that wants to move job or someone that's on 30 grand and wants to get to 40 grand and feels they should be doing a master's next year or a PhD or going back to college or you're someone that wants to set up their own business and seek looking at their boss uh, and thinks that they can do it so much better, Save that money to get your money together to set up your business or else go back to college or do a business course or do whatever it is to get yourself the position you want to be in life. And unfortunately, you need money. <laughs> like they say money doesn't buy you happiness, but it gives you an awful lot more options than when you don't have money. And um, so, you know, that's that's why, that's why I'm so passionate about money and so passionate about financial planning. It can allow you to do the most amazing things in life if you set yourself up correctly. So if you have a short-term goal, say, for example, I have a question here about first-time buyers. Yeah. If your number one thing is you're getting that 30 grand together or whatever it is for a deposit, maybe leave the investment side till after you've got that immediate uh, deposit out of the way. Yes and no. I would generally say yes to people because a short-term goal, but I would like to see somebody get involved in the investment club with me or any investment account, by the way, you know, I'll go through all the different options in a second. But, you know, you could easily probably set the investment account up for even 75 quid a month, you know, because that's not going to impact and you get into your 30 grand too. Like it's okay. It's, it's a gra- couple of grand over two years, but you know, it's nothing that's going to really majorly impact you. Um, so yeah, I, I would like to see the habit created sooner rather than later on a long-term investment strategy from a little even 75 quid a month. But technically speaking, yeah, get your 30 grand together, buy your house, get it out of the way. But, but just be careful from a first-time buyer's point of view. Uh, I, I find a lot of people save and, and they might put more than the 10% into the bank. That's not a, into the deal. That's not always necessarily the good thing to do either. Depending on your setup and what you want to do. Like I get a lot of people that want the mortgage-free by a certain period of time because their parents did. It doesn't really make, it makes sense to you personally. And there's two sides to invest in, Peter, two sides to financial planning. What makes financial sense, what makes sense to you personally, you know, so a good financial planner will be able to speak to you about what you want out of life first and then go look at the finances and find out what your objectives are in life. If your objectives are in life to be mortgage-free, you know, have 100 grand combined income and a couple of kids, that's probably easily achievable. Um, if your objective and goal is to be a property portfolio expert, have 10 properties by the time you're 40 or 50 and live passively income-free forever, that's also achievable. Uh, but they both require different sets of rules from a basic financial planning point of view. You know, uh, but if you're going for the house, yeah, knock yourself out. Get your get your twenty eight grand, your thirty grand together as a couple, um, and then don't stop there and get good advice around the mortgage. You know, there's various different talking about mortgages. There's banks that will give you a rate of two point three percent up to three percent, and they make some massive impact. 
I remember you mentioned recently that you had uh, a client that you'd saved a lot of money from just they're, they're, they're switching. Do you want to take people through what happened there? Yeah, so we had a client that was in, I think it was AIB or Bank of Ireland. Um, and just just to, give, to give everyone a run through how the mortgage market works, how we, show, how we save these people money. The AIB and Bank of Ireland, for argument's sake, and Permity is big, are the biggest banks in the country, okay? That means they're the biggest footfall. That means they've got more customers. So you're a customer of the bank. They will pro- you will probably ring the bank for a mortgage first. Uh, you'll probably go into the bank. So they don't need to give really cheap interest rates. They know they have a set pool of people they're going to do business with. They look at the like of Ulster Bank and KBC, be smaller banks. And in order to get them business, they come to brokers like me and say, hey, our interest rates are only 2.3, which are really, really low compared to traditional banks. So we had a couple that was paying Bank of Ireland. Right? I can't remember which one it was. It's on my Instagram story. I think it was 3.9%. And we got them down to 2.3% on the loan. So their loan repayments, the amount of interest they paid the bank over that term was reduced by almost 90 grand in savings. There were a couple of things I did say on the Instagram story at the time. It basically means that that rate of 23 has to stay there forever, which is only a two-year rate. But I do think interest rates are going to remain low for the foreseeable future. But, you know, people paying mad money, stupid money to banks. I mean stupid money. They're on interest rates. They're not reaching out to the likes of me and ask Paul. Anyone, like I said this in the very beginning, I see in all my videos, contact me or contact anybody to get the correct advice. But if you have a mortgage and you're on a variable rate or even if you're on a fixed rate that's nearly up, you need to consider speaking to someone about switching your money to make sure you get the lower interest rate with KBC or Ulster Bank. And you need to do that every two years. Now, people say it's hassle. It's a couple of hours of gathering paperwork. <laughs> and you could be saving 90 grand. Uh, so it's madness. But like I said, from the bank's point of view, the banks are there obviously to make money for our shareholders, which in fairness, the government bailed out a lot of money. That's another interview. But it's, it's, to me, it's criminal. It's criminal when people just walk into it, especially an AIB, a Bank of Ireland, or a Permanente. Now, I give a lot of business affairs to Bank of Ireland. They, they do really good well with exemptions and really good mortgage saver accounts. So I won't slaughter them too much. Uh, but, you know, all in all, if anyone's thinking of getting a first-time mortgage, they need to go to a mortgage broker and they need to get the lowest interest rate possible. That's all you need. Now, they're going to be attracted by cashback. You know, someone's saying, oh, you're borrowing 300 grand. You know, AIB, your parent is B, will give you two, 2% back, which is six grand to pay your legal fees and cover the cost of doing your floors and your furniture. And you'll find people easily drive, but you're just basically looking for the lowest interest rate. Lowest interest rate should always win in my, business, in my, in my, in my, in my point of view. You can have, you know, if Bank of Ireland have a good mortgage saver account, you can have your current account with someone else. You don't necessarily have to have. No. And yeah. actually, just if anyone is listening today and they are thinking of getting a mortgage, I would be highly recommending going to Bank of Ireland. For, now, again, contracting mortgage is not the cheapest interest rate, so Bank of Ireland will do. And then you can just move your mortgage in a couple of years' time. Bank of Ireland will give you two grand. If you save, I think it's five or six grand. So if you save consecutively for six months in their mortgage saver account, which you can set up online uh, on bankofireland.ie, bank.com, whatever they are, you go to Bank of Ireland anyway, set up a mortgage saver account, and you draw down your mortgage at Bank of Ireland. They give you cash back first of all, which is attractive to some people, and they also give you two grand for having your mortgage saver account with them. So, and why is that important, Peter? Imagine they're on the cheapest interest rate. Again, everyone is different. If you're someone that's really saving for a first time buyer because you know you, you really want to move out and you've really found the house, and you might only have 10 or 15 grand saved and you need to get 30 grand, well, you know, that two grand, that six grand is going to be a massive impact to you. So it might make sense to take that Bank of Ireland deal and then look at moving to a lower interest rate in two years. 
but that only makes sense if you have a financial planner. I'm not just saying like me, but you know, a financial planner is important because they're someone that will make sure you live your financial plan until you switch. The bank won't. The bank aren't going to ring you and say, hey, we're, we're charging you too much. Do you want to go to another bank? That doesn't happen. That's what a mortgage mortgage advisor, mortgage broker, a financial planner is used for, you know? Yeah, and then the last thing, just before we finish up, if people have a little bit of spare cash and they want to invest, what are the other options outside of the investment funds? You know, I hear a lot of people doing trading accounts and stuff like that, peer-to-peer lending. Is there any other ones that you would recommend or would you avoid any of those uh, in Ireland? Okay, well, look, let's look at peer-to-peer lending first. Peer-to-peer lending is quite good, but it's going to have a very hard time in the back of the, of the financial, or sorry, on the back of COVID-19 because obviously a lot of small to medium enterprises have gone bang or will go bang and they're struggling. Uh, also, peer-to-peer lending works, just so you know, there's a peer-to-peer lender. And people probably would, if people that follow me will probably see my stuff I do with Jamie Heaslip. And uh, Jamie is the brand ambassador, sorry, not brand ambassador, brand manager for, uh, market manager for uh, Flender, which are quite good. And I've used Flender as a borrower for one of my companies I borrowed off Flender, and they're really good from a due diligence point of view. So I do recommend looking at Flender. Now, the problem with Flender, uh, the problem with peer-to-peer, is that Flender are going to international markets to borrow money as well as you and me giving the money. Uh, for an interest rate and that market has kind of collapsed uh, so it's not completely gone but it's just a little bit more risk than it probably would have been before COVID-19 uh, so I'd recommend a very small proportion of your portfolio if you're looking to take that kind of extra risk on the problem I have where to go I hear a lot of people looking at t- listening to Tony Robbins uh, or um, who else American was a few different people uh, Lopez, loads of different people and they're, they're looking at their Instagram stories they're reading their books when you read these guys books it's very easy to say something like just track the S&P 500. You've probably heard it yourself here. Track the markets. Don't, don't go into a managed fund like what I'm doing. Uh, they slaughter them and say, don't pay the fees. You know, just track the S&P 500. The S&P 500 will always outperform. And yes, it will always outperform. But the problem is they're not used to clients' reaction to when shit goes wrong. And what I mean by that is in 2007, the markets fell by almost 60% in 2008 right on the back of the financial crisis. If you had 100 grand saved and you watch that 100 grand in the middle of a financial crisis go from 100 to 90 to 80 to 70, 60, 50, then hit 40 grand, you're going to do the wrong thing and pull it out. And you're going to go try and go back in at the right time. And that's not what you're supposed to do. Tracking those markets only makes sense if you have, I'm going to say the balls here or whatever you want, whatever the energy you wanted to use. If you have the guts, the neck, whatever it is, if you have to stay in the market, and I wouldn't do that because I know my personality will lose my rag when I see it happen. And it's very easy to tell someone, look, there's a storm coming, but just stay on board. Not many people actually do that. And that means they get out of the market at the wrong time. Now, what a managed fund do- does is it reduces the downside. So the Zurich fund I'm tracking, investing in, was only minus 34%. Now, only, or 38 maybe. Now, only is a ridiculous thing to say there, but it wasn't 60-odd percent. So it would have given the clients more chance of staying invested because it kind of protected the downside a bit because the fund manager, he was managing over 1.5 billion, knows when to go into cash and goes back into the market. And me and you, Peter, don't. With 18 years experience, I still don't know how to do that. So, and even when COVID-19 came, psychologically, I've got a lot of money on cash. And psychologically, I was saying, right, when the market crashes again, I'm going to go all in. Still didn't go all in at the time. The market rebounds in six weeks where the Zurich investment manager instead invested in equities because he was able to keep his cool because it wasn't his own money because he hasn't got emotional attachment to your money the way you do. 
So I think people, if they're listening to this and you're going on to Revolut, you're going on to, you know, we have a DeGiro account, I just still haven't bought anything on DeGiro because I just don't need to. The fund manager I have in Zurich is investing over 400 stocks, top stocks, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, you know, uh, Google, uh, J, uh, J Morgan, uh, these are loads of different companies. So I'm getting my diversification, I'm getting it done by somebody who knows what they're doing. Uh, and even after my 18 years experience, I still wouldn't try and do it. And I know I still wouldn't stay in the market. So just be careful. Be careful who you're listening to and see if it makes sense. And it's very easy for someone like a Grant Cardone or Tony Robbins to sit there, you know, we're multi-millionaires and say, just do this or just do that. They have the risk appetite and they're set up already for life. And they probably won't make the same stupid mistakes as you will, because it's probably all that you have. <laughs> uh, so... I just always be very careful of who you're listening to. They might be right, but they mightn't know the investment cycle or the psychological of investment that comes with putting your money in something. For anybody that wants to get in touch, do you have your social media or how's the best way yeah, to I get do. in touch so with it's you? Ask Paul, it's AskPaul.ie is the website. You can book consultations there. I go on to Instagram. is very popular. Uh, YouTube, Facebook, it's Instagram. I think it's AskPaul uh, now. Uh, Facebook is just ask Paul. If you log on to Facebook or Instagram, you're going to find an awful lot of free content there, video-wise. And I encourage you, I do a Monday questions uh, for people to ask me questions live on a Monday and I get back to them by Tuesday. I'd encourage you to go back over my highlights because it's uh, there's thousands of questions being asked by people probably just like you. Uh, so it's very, 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 I suppose, educational to see what people are asking, how I'm answering the questions they ask them live. Thanks for that, Paul. Really appreciate you taking out the time in your week to give us, you know, 40, 50 minutes there. Really good advice. Um, so thanks very much. That's no problem there. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Optimize Your Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. And for more information on productivity and human optimization, please follow our Instagram page at popproductivity or head over to our website at www.popproductivity.com. Until the next time, take care.